listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. This is, this is an exciting day. I mean, we're continuing our series, Life in the Spirit. But we're also going to have a baptism this morning, and so I'm really excited. I'm excited for the two young men that are being baptized. I'm excited because we haven't baptized anybody since COVID. So this is like our first post-COVID baptism, and that's something to be excited about. Uh, this, the title of the sermon today is More Than Enough. More Than Enough expresses both of these passages of Scripture that we just heard from. Jesus provided bread, the multiplication of bread, and there was more than enough. There was some left over. And it's not just that Jesus provides for us physically, although he does, but he also provides for us spiritually. That what Paul was talking about there, that we would be filled with the fullness of God, the height, the breadth, the depth, so that the good news of the gospel is not that we're going to have just enough to make it by. The gospel is not a story simply of sustenance. The gospel is a story of abundance. The feeding narratives are some of the few stories that actually occur in all four gospels. Like, like not all the gospels tell us about the birth of Christ. Not all the gospels tell us about the temptation of Christ. All the gospels do tell us about these feeding stories. Like, we've probably become too comfortable, I think, in our setting because in the ancient world, to have food was something that you would not necessarily be uh, confident of, right? And if someone can come and provide food for the people, then that's the person we want to follow. Now, John's version of the story, which we heard read, thank you, Chanel, um, tells us a few details that otherwise we wouldn't know. Because although all four gospels tell the story, they don't always tell it exactly the same way. Two unique things about John's telling of the story. One is he's the only one to tell us that it happened at the time of the Passover. And I think that's important for John because John's going to follow up this story with Jesus saying, because he feeds the people and the next day they hunt him down. He's gone to the other side of the lake and they find him and they're like, okay, time for breakfast. You know, you fed us dinner. And he's like, if you want to be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, mm, no thanks, right? That's too much. But he's calling them to a life that's not just a life where kind of we get things from God, but it's also this life where we live for God. And that's, that's the life that is, that is um, preached by Jesus. So... The other piece that John tells us about, and I think this is implicit in the other telling of the stories, but John, John makes it very explicit. In the ancient world, if you had 5,000 men together, and I think it's important here because it's not just the word for 5,000 people, it's like the word for 5,000 men. Like if you're counting men in the ancient world, there's only two reasons that you would count them. Right? You either count them because you're going to uh, charge them taxes, like you do a census because the government's going to tax, or you count them because you're getting ready to go into battle. 
So it happens again and again and again throughout the Old Testament that the Israelites are told to count how many they have, and they want to know how many does the enemy have, and they're trying to measure, is this a, is this a, um, a likely fight, a fight that we're, that we're likely to win or not. This is going on here too. If you have 5,000 people and 5,000 men and you can feed them, well then you can take your leader and march to Jerusalem and make him king. And it actually says this in John's gospel. Like it doesn't leave it to question. I think it's implied by the others, but it says this. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, this is something that we have to remember, that Jesus, Jesus' kingdom is not militant. It's not accomplished by violence. It is a kingdom of abundance. Common to all the accounts, there were plenty of leftovers at the feedings. Miraculous feedings occur earlier in the Bible too. Elisha, there's an Elisha story where a guy comes to him and he says, well, I've got this amount of food, and, and, but we have this amount of people, right? So it's a small amount of food and it's like 100 people. And they're like, well, that will never work. And Elisha prophesies and everybody gets fed. So Jesus is kind of like a new Elisha. Although he doesn't just provide enough, he provides more than enough, right? There are 12 baskets full left over, which is a very, very symbolic number, kind of representing a basket for each apostle and each apostle kind of representing kind of each of the tribes of Israel. This, I believe, is actually going on in the Lord's Prayer as well, right? The Lord's Prayer opens up kind of directed to God, our Father, the one in the heavens, you know, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, as in heaven also upon the earth. And then it says this, give us today our daily bread. Now, most commentators are going to say, Matthew kind of says, give us every day our bread, where uh, excuse me, Luke kind of says, give us every day our bread. Matthew kind of says, give us today kind of the bread for tomorrow. They're asking not simply to be sustained. Like sometimes our translations, I think, fail us just a bit there. They're actually asking for more than that. And this is how Jesus has teaching them to pray. Pray like this. Pray, give us today the bread for tomorrow. Like, Pray with an expectation of abundance. Everything that comes from God comes this way. It's not like we have just enough mercy, like God, God meads out mercy just a bit, or just enough grace, as though grace is some kind of limited resource for God, or just enough forgiveness, like God has forgiven you, but he's forgiven you a lot. But I tell you what, if you do like 10 more sins, God's forgiveness is going to be gone. He's going to have used it all. And you're going to be, you know, out of luck. It just doesn't work that way. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness can, is an inexhaustible resource. And God has created a world where our resources are limited, I would say, but there's more than enough. There's a telling of this story, of, of the feeding story that I wanted to share with you. It's probably not the one you've typically heard, and when you first hear it, you might think, mm, I don't know if I agree with that one, but just, just 
listen to this. So the feeding story could be read where there was two fish and five loads and somehow miraculously Jesus multiplies it so that there's more than enough there even out of that little. There's a more kind of, um, I don't know, practical idea was that this one kid had two fish and five loaves, which would be a fairly decent sized meal for one kid. So he's like, well, I've got all this. And as he goes to share, other people go to share. And as they go to share, other people go to share. And before you know it, everybody's sharing what they have. And when they've shared what they've had, there's more than enough. Now you might say, no, wait a minute, just a minute, Robbie. Are you trying to say this wasn't a miracle? What I'm trying to say is that there's different miracles that sometimes take place. Sometimes miracles take place and Jesus calms the storms and Jesus heals the sick and Jesus delivers the, the demon-possessed uh, people, right? But there are other things that God does to us that are less noticeable, perhaps. For example, have any of you or anyone you ever have known been in need and somehow their need was provided for by someone else? Right? Testimonies? Yes? Yeah? You've heard of this before? Somebody had a need. I heard about it at the college. Some students in need, they go to the mailbox and there's a check for $100, right? Somebody said, God told me you were in need and you gave. Maybe some of you have done that before. Maybe some of you have been generous because you felt like God led you to be generous. And we don't hesitate to ascribe that to God. We say God has worked through them to bless these other folks. That's what we say. So imagine if... That is part of what's going on in this feeding story. God is working through these people, right, through the body of Christ, we would later say, to bless other people. So that the miracle <clears throat> might have been happening, and I'm saying this is just one way of reading it, right? The miracle might be happening in changing a person's heart. And I might ask you this, which do you think might be more difficult to do? To take a few loaves of bread and feed 5,000 people or to actually change the way people feel about others. To change the way they hold on to their resources. You know, there's the old adage, if God is all-powerful, can God make a rock so big that God can't pick up? It's kind of a philosophical conundrum. Have you heard that one before? I'll say it again for those of you who haven't. <laughs> Did he say yes? Yeah. Right. Forgive me for the repeats, but here it comes again. <laughs> if God is all-powerful, can God make a rock so large that God can't pick up? Vladimir Lasky, the Eastern Orthodox theologian, says God already has. It's called the human heart. That our hearts, God is not, God doesn't coerce or manipulate us. Right? God loves us. But God also moves on us and, and, and does kind of transform our hearts so that we realize that we are part of this larger thing. And this is exactly what I think is going on in the epistle passage today as well. In particular, I want to reread this passage from Ephesians. 
This is the last part of Paul's prayer that he offered to the church at Ephesus. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So today, as we said, we are going to baptize a couple of young men. This baptism is an immersion into the water, but not only into the water, but into the body of Christ, into the fullness of God. And there's an expectation that this is, this is transformative. This, this contributes to what is making them into the type of people who would be filled with the Spirit of Christ so that they might live in a way that embraces the abundance of the gospel. What I love about baptism is that we don't baptize ourselves. We are baptized. Someone else does it to us. It's like in communion. We don't take communion by ourselves. It is served to us. Wesley and Sam are making their baptismal vows today. Vows that they believe in Jesus. That they accept him as Lord. And that they renounce evil. The rest of us that are here today, I would argue, are not merely spectators. We're not just here simply to watch that happen. But we are witnesses we are bearing witness to their baptism. So I'm asking you today, those of you who are here, not only to bear witness to their baptism, and that also applies to you who are watching on the live stream, not only to bear witness to their baptism, but to take it a step further and to renew your own commitment of your own baptismal vows. This, this is how the Christian life, I think, is actually supposed to be lived. When you go to a wedding, you should not just say, oh, look, that's cool. They're getting married. In, in a Christian wedding, you should hear them commit their vows to one another. In, good, in richer or poorer, uh, sickness and health, to death do us part, right? And when they do that, you should make a, a recommitment of your marital vows. Like, yes, that's what it means to be married. And I'm married. And yes, I'm committed to that. The same thing goes with baptism. They are going to be baptized today into the body of Christ, a baptism which you who have been baptized are already baptized into. They're being baptized into the body that you are already a part of. And it's joining us together. So today, if you have been baptized, bear witness to this baptism and commit yourselves again to your baptismal vows that you believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, right? That you believe in the Holy Spirit, in the church, in the communion of saints, in the resurrection of the body, in the life everlasting. Amen. We are all united spiritually and physically in the same way that the abundance of the gospel is both spiritual and physical. We are united spiritually and physically into the body of Christ, into the family of God into the temple of the Spirit. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.